God is good, isn't he? And uh, he's looking to change us all. Isn't that amazing? He loves us so much that he doesn't leave us where we're at. He looks to come and change us and to make us more like Jesus. That's the main aim, isn't it? I think I said a few weeks ago, sometimes we think God's main aim for us is to keep us comfortable and nice and happy and everything going nice. But his main aim is to change us to become more like his son, Jesus Christ. So is this working? It is working. Good, because it's difficult to tell up here. So just before I get into my talk, I just want to publicly, a couple that have been with us for years, they're unfortunately not been able to be with us this morning, uh, but Cliff and Sue Curitan, most of you will know, Cliff and Sue have been with us for a number of years here at King's, way before Sally and I were around. And uh, they've just been such a, an intrinsic part of what we do. Uh, they've led home groups, they've looked after people, and uh, Sue has been secretary to the trustees, uh, for ages and does just a wonderful job of that. And also she spoils us trustees because often when we have a meeting together, she brings cakes and bakes and things. And not that I ever eat anything like that, of course, but the rest of the guys are terrible. They just waft it down, you know. Um, so we just want to say a massive thank you to them. I want to say that publicly. Uh, because they've been such a blessing. We have a little gift that we've got for them, a little token of our appreciation, which is a, a, a gift voucher for a garden centre where they can get some nice plants and things. And uh, But we'll miss them enormously because they're the kind of people that just get on with stuff. You know, and those kind of people you miss uh, when they leave. So we want to pray a real blessing on Cliff and Sue. Hopefully they may even be watching this somewhere now. We don't know, so I have to be careful what I say. Um, but it's just great. We, we love them and we're so thankful that God has brought them with us. Now they're going elsewhere. They're going to be closer, moving closer to their family. Uh, but we pray that wherever they go, whichever church they land in, what we know is that they'll be a blessing there because they're just those kind of people. So we want to pray a blessing on Cliff and Sue. So why don't we just do that? We'll just pray for them now, shall we? Father God, we want to thank you so much for Cliff and Sue. We thank you for all they mean to us here at Kings. Lord, we thank you uh, for the work they've carried out here, for who they are. And Father, we want to pray right now that as they move to be closer to family, as they retire and move, Lord, that you would bless them, you pour your Holy Spirit into them, help them to know uh, a leading step by step of what you call them to do. We, we know, Lord, there is no retirement in the kingdom. And Lord, we want to pray that there'd be a massive blessing wherever they go. Lord, we lift them to you now. We thank you for them. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, so this morning we're going to continue our studies from the book of James. This is the fifth talk uh, from the book of James. And uh, as I've been preparing this talk, I've been quite challenged uh, by the verses uh, in this particular chapter. It's from James 2 and the first 13 verses. Uh, and God has challenged me considerably. Let me, first of all, I'm, I'm going to kind of start a little bit off beam. Is that okay? You don't mind me starting off. I promise to get back on beam, okay, at some point. Um, so, because so, I feel God's been challenging me through these verses, but it's, it's gone a bit wider than that. You know, sometimes God, he sort of pokes you in one place. And By the way, I want to tell you this as well. Yeah, you, you're familiar with God doing that with you, I trust, and, and through his word. You read something, you go, wow. And you go, God says, yeah, but don't forget it here as well. 
So it's been a bit like that as I've been preparing. So I'm going to share some of that with you because I believe God wants me to do that. So let me, first of all, talk a little in my intro about life. About life. It should all make sense a bit later as we go through. Now, you're probably aware that every stage of life that we go to, that we go through, we gain something and we lose something. Okay, you know that. That's life, isn't it? As you get older, you gain something and you lose something. You know, when you have children, when they're, they're little, they're lovely. They follow you around and they do exactly as you tell them sometimes. And, um, and, and, but as they get older, you know, you gain something that, you know, they gain something, they can talk, they can express themselves, but you lose something with them because they don't necessarily run up to you, fling your arms around you and shout, Daddy, how great to see you. So through every stage of life, we gain something and we lose something. See, I trust as we get older, I'm speaking a bit to myself now, getting a bit older. As we get older, I trust that what you gain is some wisdom. Uh, You gain some understanding as you get older. You're better able to decide which battles you fight and which battles you leave alone. You hope you've gained some discernment in different things as well. You've learned something about your own character. Hopefully you've become a bit self-aware of of what you're like. And you trust uh, that your personal relationship with God has grown, that your knowledge and understanding of God's words has increased. You also hope you've become a little less arrogant than you were when you were kind of younger, uh, and that other people's opinions, rather than you're just your own, may actually count for something. Okay, because I reckon when I was 25, I knew everything. I had all the answers. Now I'm 66. I'm not sure how much I know at all. (laughs) So you gain something as you get older, but you can lose something as well. Let me tell you a little bit of what you lose. You lose sometimes that immediacy with things. Let's do that now. Somebody has an idea and you go, let's do it now. Yeah, do you find that? You want to think about it a bit. Whereas actually when you're a bit younger, you go, let's, let's do it now. Let's move. Let's do it now. Let's get on with it. And, and a little bit of your get up and go has got up and gone, hasn't it, sometimes? Uh, and so you're not quite in the zone as much as you used to be. And... There's, there's a danger in some of this, in that sometimes we can become comfortable in what we do. We like comforts just a little too much, and we can lose our passion for all kinds of things. We can sometimes get a bit lethargic, and we can procrastinate over things. Maybe we're like those people who, when all is said and done, there's far more said than done. Yeah? And it may be this morning you think, well, I may be feeling a bit like that. If you are feeling a bit like that, can I give you some advice? I am giving this advice to myself as well. Give yourself a good shake and stop acting your age. Okay? Stop acting your age. Hey, let's get that zeal back again. Let's grab hold of something where God grabs us and we go, let's do it now. Let's do it now. Let's see what God wants to do. Let's jump. Let's, let's, let's really go for what God wants to do for us. You see, whatever our age is, and this can ap- apply to younger people as well, 
We want to grab back our passion. You want to grab back your passion. Hey, grab back your zest for life. Grab back your love and desire for God. Grab back the heart and passion you had for those that don't yet know Jesus. Grab back your passion for those who are less fortunate than you are. Those who have addictions, those who have nowhere to live, those who don't smell so good, those who are used, abused and rejected, grab back your passion. Grab back your passion. Hey, we can lose it sometimes as we go along the Christian faith. Everything becomes comfortable. Everything becomes normal. And God says, no, I want you to be passionate people. Let me say this respectfully to all of us and including me in this. God is never impressed with lukewarmness. You know that, don't you? The Bible is very clear. God is not impressed with lukewarmness. Never impressed with it. He says, I'd rather you were hot or cold, not lukewarm. Lukewarm is not a good place to be. And let me get into the book of James a bit, into this chapter. And James, our adopted Jewish Yorkshireman, as Paul called him, is not shy in shaking us up, in saying things as they really are, in poking us in the eye and saying, listen to what I'm saying. James is, is in for that. He's quite happy to do that. So let's uh, read from James chapter 2 and the first 13 verses. My brothers and sisters, believing in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, had not, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor. It is, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let me say this, there's nothing very ambiguous, is there, about James's writing. He is straight to the point. The truth is, we can all be quick to judge people by what we see externally. We look at someone and we make a judgment on what we think they are, what kind of character they are. We judge on people's outward appearance. 
the Bible is clear when it said God judges people by the heart, not by what they look at like outside, but what's going on inside. And James in this passage is very clear that showing any kind of favoritism is completely wrong. See, the truth is we tend to judge people both ways. I mean, James is specifically talking about the poor and against the rich. But, you know, we judge the rich and the poor very often. You see, very often with the haves that maybe come to the church or maybe we know, we can often think this. Their car is too big. It's too posh. Car's too big. What are they doing with a nice car like that? Their house is too big. Their clothes are far too expensive. Fancy wearing labelled clothes. Their shoes are too nice. I'd just like to show you these. <coughs> uh, a tenor? No, they weren't. <laughs> their haircut is far too youthful. They're trying to look too young. Or oh, their hair is too short. Their hair's too long. And they talk all posh. How can they possibly be Christians when they spend that much on a holiday? How can they possibly be Christians when they spend that much on their own? So we judge those who have. And then also, we flick around and we judge those who don't have as well. So we may think something like this. Look a bit grubby. Ooh, don't look very clean. Their car is such a mess. Their house is so tiny. Man, they could do with some personal hygiene products. A good haircut wouldn't go amiss. Fancy coming to church dressed like that. Got holes in their shoes. They talk terribly. See, what I've discovered is this. We tend to struggle with most people who are not quite like us. Do you find that? See, we set ourselves almost as a standard, don't we? It's like, well, we're normal. You know, everyone else is kind of one way or the other. We tend to struggle with those who are not like us. We can feel uncomfortable around people who have a lot more or a lot less than we do. And then sometimes our evaluation or our judgment of their outward appearance prevents us from getting to know the real them. Isn't that sad? We don't really know people. We make a judgment on them. We never spend time getting to know people. And James is quite, uh, is saying quite clearly that it shouldn't be this way. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should be the last people to judge others by their outward appearance. We should be the last people to do that. James 2, in the first verse that we read, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Don't judge. Then in the next three verses, he gives an example of someone who is dressed in fine clothes and someone who's really scruffy and downtrodden and they come into the church. You know, let me just uh, go back to my introduction a wee bit. I said God is not keen on lukewarm people. I want to read to us what he says about the church in Laodicea. Revelation 3, verses 14 to 18. To the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, 
I know your deeds. See, only God knows. I know your deeds. That you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I'm not in need of a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and self to put on your eyes so you can see. See, sometimes we need a reality check. We think we're rich and we think we don't need any. and We think we're normal. And it's a trick of the devil to make us think that we're the norm, we're the standard, and other people are below or above us. See, once we stop buying or receiving from Jesus what Jesus is offering us, we become poor and wretched and naked and blind. That's what James is really saying in this. Don't forget that by showing partiality, you're forgetting who you really are. We're forgetting where we really come from. We were nothing until we found Jesus. You know that. We were absolutely nothing. We were poor, wretched, naked, blind. We were hopeless. And then Jesus grabbed us. That puts us all on an even keel because when Jesus grabs other people, guess what? They're no longer poor, wretched, naked, and blind. They've got the riches of Jesus just like we have. Isn't that amazing? You see, God puts people on a parity. There isn't the rich, there isn't the poor, there isn't the up, there isn't the down. God says, when you come to know Jesus Christ, guess what? You're all there. You're all there in God's family. See, my Bible says in John 3.16, and, and yours will say the same, I'm sure, for God so loved the world, for God so loved the world. See, that's all-inclusive, all-inclusive statement. No one is left out, no one is overlooked, no one has greater value than the other. No rich, no poor divide, no class distinction. God loves everybody so much that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How dare we show favoritism to anybody when God says, I love everyone, I love the whole world. So, so much. So, so much. You see, God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. You want to be rich, become poor. You want to be powerful, become a servant. You want to be the greatest, become the least. That's just what Jesus did, didn't it, when he was on earth? See, I'd like us today to commit ourselves to be living in an upside-down kingdom where we don't judge the world by the outside appearances. We don't look at the outside of people, but we love like God loves. We get alongside people like God gets alongside us. We lay down our lives for others just as Jesus laid down his life for us. And then we'll see God's kingdom grow. You see, Jesus' disciples, those 12 motley crew, it was said of them that they turned the world upside down. Just 12 of them. They turned the world upside down. See, God's calling us to turn our worlds upside down. He's calling us to turn the world of Darlington upside down. He's calling us to be different. He's calling us to be bold, 
to be passionate about him. He's calling us to say, come on, guys, let's go. Let's immediately do this. Let's not have too many discussions about things. Let's hear what God says and go for it. We want to be those that people say, man, they turned Darlington upside down. Wouldn't that be wonderful? We turned Darlington upside down. Why? Because we're passionate about what God has for Darlington and what he has for us. In my introduction, I said these verses challenged me. And I want to tell you a little bit of why they challenged me now. So... When I was about 17, which is quite a long time ago, um, I was a Christian then, and uh, I remember walking through Oxford. And Oxford itself is quite a wealthy city. It's got full of university stuff and whatever. But there's a lot of downinets living Oxford because it is a wealthy place. And I remember walking through Oxford one day and... Uh, this man of the streets kind of shouted at me. And he said, have you got any money? Have you got any money? Have you got any money? And let's see, at 17, I didn't stop and think too much. And I just said, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you come with me and I'll take you and buy you some food? I ain't got a lot of money, to be honest. I was 17. I was self-employed and I was taking myself to college one day. So I haven't really got a lot of money kicking about. I said, let's go and buy something. The guy had the most strangest eating habits I've ever come across. I don't know whether you have these things up in the north, but do you have what's called faggots? Faggots. You know, they're like meatballs, only worse. Um, and he bought, he said, can, I, can you get me some of those? We were walking around, I know, some little co-op or something in the middle of Oxford. And I bought him this tray of raw faggots and some other stuff. And God took me back to that and said to me, <laughs> I'm going to lose it in a minute. Um, when did you last do that? When did you last see what you'd do now probably, Phil, is you'd go, I tell you what, we got a food bank. Why don't you come down on a Monday, Wednesday or Friday and you get some food? Because that's the sensible thing to say, isn't it? See, but God said to me, no, there's an immediacy you need to have. You need to throw off some of that stuff that's stuck to you that says, we need to explain what's going on. We need to tell people. We need to be sensible. I don't think we do need to be sensible. We just need to go. So I know Mike had an experience of uh, somebody saying the big issue this week and, and did a similar thing for them. Because there's something about an immediate response. See, God, God doesn't call us to just think and pontificate over so much stuff all the time there's some stuff he just wants us to do and I feel challenged that I'm actually no longer doing it I want to challenge you on that you're still doing that kind of stuff because I bet most of you did it one time you see sometimes we can just get a little bit lethargic and uncomfortable and we want to think everything through. And God said, don't think about it, do it. Isn't that what the book of James is saying? Don't keep pontificating over it, get on with it. The other story is uh, when we first moved up to the northeast, we were leading the Oakwood Centre over in Eaglescliff. And they had some great evangelistic people over there and some people who used to work 
uh, with the Dynanettes in, uh, in Middlesbrough. And we used to have a six o'clock Sunday evening like gospel service, which is a bit wild, to be honest. Because uh, Teen Challenge, one of the guys in, in the church used to work for Teen Challenge, and he used to bring mini bus loads of people off the streets, all kinds of people. They're prostitutes and, and all, all kinds of people would come in. And you just have to nail everything down. Do you know what I mean? If it, if it were loose, it would walk. Um, but there was something, there was something quite refreshing about it as well. See, we, we used to pray, and Martin Ruddock would often preach. You know, a lot of you know Martin. He, he leads Amazing Grace Church now, but was one of the elders at, uh, at the Oakwood Centre with me. And uh, he was great. Martin's a great evangelist. And so Martin would often get up and preach, and uh, he'd invite people forward for prayer, both for salvation and, and for healings and for you know, being set free. And I'll tell you what, there was a lot of spiritual stuff going on in that place. So we used to get down amongst them and we used to pray with them and then you'd pray with them and then they'd hug you and you'd go, oh, oh, that was a bit niffy, you know. And, and the smell would stay, you know, must out my nose for about a week. About a week later, I could still smell some stuff. I don't know what they were taking or smoking or doing, but it, it, it sure stuck with you for a while. And I remember seeing 15-year-old girls coming up who were and less of that age, who'd been abused, and, and they'd come and you'd see an innocence lost in them. And it would break your heart. Break your heart. And God's saying, are you still doing it? Are you still doing it? Are you still reaching out? Do you still have a heart? Are you still passionate? Are you still passionate, Phil? See, I don't want to be lukewarm because God hates lukewarmness. I don't want you to be lukewarm. I don't want this church to not give you stuff that says, come on, guys, let's go for it. Okay, see, there's something that God wants to do. See, this, this book of, of James is about doing. It's about doing. And that whole favoritism thing, isn't it? Well, I don't show favoritism. I just weigh up and they're okay and they're okay. You know, God's not after that, is he? He's after a passion for people. He's after a passion. See, I, I love it because also in that chapter that we read, James says about if you love your neighbor as yourself. Now, neighbor's everybody. So please don't, don't hear, um, don't hear James say that he's just interested in poor people. You see, the little story he tells about someone rich and someone poor, it's not, he's not making an indictment on the rich or the poor. What he's saying is the people that have the problem are those that took them to the seats. They were the ones making the judgment. And God says to us, don't make judgments, help people, love people, go for it, get to know people. So I've been a bit wrecked at times this week uh, looking at this and saying, well, God, what does it mean? And I think it starts with our passion for God again. I think without a passion for God, we can't really get passionate about anything else. 
See, if you can't get passionate about someone who loved you so much, they sent their son to die for you, what are you going to get passionate about? It's pretty impossible, I think. And we need to grab hold of that passion again that God has. We need to stir ourselves up. You know, those of us that are a bit older probably need to get a little less comfortable somewhere and stop acting our age. You know, let's go for it again. Let's just go the immediacy. And I know some of you do that. Please don't hear me knocking anybody. I'm just stirred up, okay? I'm just stirred up. And I think God wants to stir us all up even more about what we can do for him. Who can we, what can we be for God? Who can we reach for him? How can we help people? See, we want to turn this place upside down, don't we? Turn Darlington upside down, eh? Gosh, look at look how many there is of us compared to the 12. Loads of us, even in today, even we can't all gather. And God says, look, turn the world upside down. Be passionate. Speak the good news. Love people. Don't judge people. And let's see God do something. Lord, help us shake ourselves this morning. See, there's something we have to do. You've got to want to do this. You've got to want to be passionate. You've got to want to shake yourself. Lord, help us shake ourselves this morning and allow you to re-energize us and give us a passion. Lord God, I pray you'd give us back passion, passion for you, passion for your word. Lord, give us passion for prayer, passion for each other, passion for the church, passion for the Holy Spirit. Passion for our relationships with you, our relationship with you. Passion for our neighbours. Give us a passion for the lost again. A passion for the broken. A passion for the used, the abused and the rejected. And help us remember this morning that your grace, your love and your mercy is for the whole of humankind. Lord Jesus, touch our hearts this morning, we pray in Jesus' name.